There's a humorous little expression that I actually heard in real life one time. Um, the expression is, who are you and what have you done with my husband in this case? Um, it was a couple that I was counseling several years ago. And for the first few times, I, I wasn't very sure that we were making any progress. But there was um, one session where there was some kind of, of an epiphany. I don't know what it was. But the husband uh, came on strong and well. And some of the, the things that his wife had been bringing on her sort of litany of the things that he does and things that he doesn't ever do, um, he, he somehow had managed to chip away at that list and was getting better. So in the in the middle of this time that we were sitting together in my office, um, she looked at him and she said, who are you and what have you done with my husband? I think that I've heard the same question asked about some of our boys um, as Annabeth has watched them um, and, and they do remarkably well with their children better than I did with my children in being good dads and attentive dads and all of that. And sometimes, I, I'm, I'm not sure if Annabeth has spoken the words, but it's kind of like, who are you and what have you done with my son? So today, I, I just want to have a little fun with that expression and actually bring it home into each of our Christian lives and ask the question, who are you? And what have you done with the old you? So it's as though someone is encountering you and whatever it is about you has occasioned that question. Um, something you've done differently, something you've said differently, some way that um, you have been has made someone with a bit of perplexity maybe and with some interest um, ask the question, who are you? And what have you done with the old you? So as we think about that, I want this morning to move to the next passage that is in the lectionary from First Peter, um, in which we hear Peter continue his exhortation to Christians going through hard times. It's very timely indeed. And in First Peter 1, verses 17 to 23, um, here is the... I was going to say the version that I'm read, reading, but it's it's actually a version that I I made. I started with the um, New Living Translation. I didn't like some of the ways that it was translated, so I decided to do it myself, which is awfully high-handed. And um, you know, if you have a Greek scholar, you can pull this up to him and say, "Is this good or bad, or what is this guy doing?" But I think it's a really faithful tr translation of the the Greek terms. So here's how it comes out, the way I've, I've seen it. Peter says, And if the Heavenly Father you call on is impartial and judges according to each deed, live in fear of him during your time here as neighbors. For you were redeemed not by corruptible things like silver or gold, from the vain behavior you've, in, you've inherited from your ancestors, but by precious blood like a lamb's without blemish and spot, which was foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, but appeared at the last times for your sake. You who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory for your faith and hope to be in God, your souls having been purified by obedience to the truth through the Spirit, purified to unfeigned brotherly love, must love one another out of a pure heart with unfeigned Outstretched, hand, outstretched hands, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the living, foreverlasting word of God. But the definitive word of God lasts forever. This definitive word was good news announced to you. Who are you, and what have you done with the old you? The simple answer to that is in a lovely verse of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, it's a verse that many of us have learned, memorized, and, and returned to it time after time. The Apostle Paul in this case says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Who are you? 
What have you done with the old you? This morning, I hope that we can dig deeply into what Paul says here and then let Peter kind of flesh it out for us. Um, What Paul says here is something that is absolutely spiritually and materially true of you. Be careful, I will, with the the idea of it being materially true, except that it, it has implications and ramifications. But in, in, a, in, a, in an essential way, and maybe we, we might say in a, in, a, in a spiritual way, Paul says, here's you. So if someone were asking him, um, who is Ian? Um, or who is this new person and what have you done with Ian or whoever the subject might be. Paul says, well, here is the the grounding principle about who a person is and what has been done with the person they used to be. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. Paul understands the language about creation very well. Um, It doesn't mean he's a new version. It doesn't mean he's a a new iteration. Paul uses a a word that is very clear in this intent. He's something new. He's something that is made new. He's something that's brand new. Um, Creation in the theology of the Bible is ex nihilo, as they say. It's creation from nothing. It's, It's... something that comes that didn't exist before and Paul says if anyone is in Christ and we'll understand what that means of course that if if we have become followers of Christ and we'll see Peter expand on that in a little while but if it's true of anyone that this person is in Christ then the answer to the question that we're posing this morning who are you and what have you done with the old you Here it is. The the old has gone and the new has come. The the tense of the verb when Paul says the new has come, um, when he says the old has gone, it's just a simple past tense. Uh, But when he says the new has come, it's a perfect tense. And in Greek, a perfect tense means that something has happened and the results are observable. So you you might say, I have come to Milton. The implication is that if I have come to Milton, I'm still here in Milton. If I if I say I came to Milton, it may be that I came and left later on. But if I say I have come to Milton, you would presume I mean that I have come and that's where I am. And so Paul says, the old is, has gone, that, that that's a fact, but the new has now come. And the new is here, if it has come. So this is a very profound truth about the Christian life and about the Christian person. That I I want us to be very careful not to pass by this morning without letting it grip us entirely. Because this is the truth about you. This is the truth about who are you. And let's say what has been done with the person you used to be. Christianity expects a radical change. In in fact, more than expecting a radical change, Christianity affects a radical change. Knowing Christ, being in Christ, is to be fundamentally changed. So if you are someone who would call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you would say this little phrase, in Christ pertains to you, if you've come to a place in your life where you have acknowledged uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord for you, if you've been led into that by parents through church and Sunday school, if you've come to a crisis in your life where that has become... um, just a necessary commitment of life, a a way for you to be turned around, then the absolute truth is that the old has gone and something new has come to stay. 
And what has come to stay, uh, Peter explores as he talks about how we live into the Christian life. And that's what we want to consider this morning. So the, the passage that is before us, um, you'll see on, on the screen, I have divided into three colors beyond the, the black that was the original text of the passage. We're going to look, first of all, um, at the red letters and then at the blue letters and at the purple letters. The red letters are asking the question, who are you? And the blue letters are asking the question, what have you done with the old you? Or what has happened to the old you? Or what was the old you like that has simply gone? It's just not there anymore. And then the purple letters are just some simple and so implications. Uh, Who are you? What were you? And so what? What difference is all this going to make? Remember that the, the, the motto of this morning is, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You yourself are a new creation, not just people around you, not just Christians generally, just not just church, but you yourself are a new creation. The thing that you were is gone, not to be retrieved. And the new you, the new creation has come. It has arrived. It has come into being. Um, it is truly present as you that's the truth about you it's not just a religious idea it's not just religious behavior it's not just ethical or moral commitments it's it's actually something new it's it's something that you were not before and that you are now because you're a new creation so i hope i've made that point and then we'll proceed with what peter has to tell us as we explore the you that is and the you that used to be and what all of that should mean for us. So first of all, and we'll just kind of look at these phrases or words and settle into them this morning. We'll spend most of the time, I think, on the red letters, which are the answer to the question, who are you? Um, And there are several things that Peter tells us um, that are in answer to the question, who are you? First of all, the way Peter encourages these uh, Asia Minor believers is to say that the Heavenly Father that you're calling on is an impartial judge. And he has things to say about that later on through the epistle. But the first thing that would come in answer to the question, who are you, is that you are somebody who calls God your Heavenly Father. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Part of the new having come is that we, in a very primary way, identify ourselves as children of our Heavenly Father, that God is our Father. We know that the way that is kind of parsed out out in the New Testament is with with the idea of the Aramaic word um, Abba, which means Daddy, um, uh, which is like Papa, which is the way a little child would articulate um, its identification of the person that's his daddy or her papa. So we call on somebody who is to us our Heavenly Father. And at, at the very core of most of our Christian identity is this idea, which is more than an idea, it is the truth about us, given what Paul said in Second Corinthians 5.17, that God is our Father. And I invite you just to explore that often as a concept and as a reality in your lives. What does it mean to have God as our Father? We pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, and we're going to be talking um, in a month or two about the whole notion of the kingdom of God that we pray will come because God is our Father and we long for the kingdom of the Father to, to come. But in, in many ways, um, 
just the simple idea of God being our father is a lovely idea. One of the ways that um, Paul, still in this case, describes our relationship with God is that he tells us that we are accepted in the beloved. So one of the ways that God, our Father, um, is disposed towards us is to accept us in his beloved. And that's a, a just a warming idea that because of Jesus and because of the love that the Father has for the Son, um, we are also bundled in. We're, we're kind of part of the deal. Um, when when a, a young woman brings her boyfriend home, uh, her father often has a dilemma that uh, he's not so sure that this guy is the right one. No father's ever sure that this guy's the right one. Um, you know, so pulls up in the driveway and honks the horn instead of coming to the door and properly introducing himself and all of that. But when... When the daughter brings her boyfriend home, and maybe it's become fairly serious, and the father takes stock of the situation and he assesses his reaction to it, and he he thinks, well, maybe he's not my first choice. There's no first choice. Um, but apparently he's the one she has chosen. So if I don't accept him, Maybe I risk losing her. It's, it's just kind of that way in human terms. But in far more lofty terms, um, God our Father has been introduced to us by his Son, and his Son tells his Father that we are his beloved. And when the Lord Jesus brings us home to the Father and tells the Father that we are his beloved, the Father accepts us. God, our Father, doesn't do it reluctantly, and he doesn't think there's somebody better that the Son should have waited for. In fact, this was his design all along. But we're accepted in the Beloved, and that's one of the aspects of this answer to the question, who are you? Uh, we have a Father that we call our Heavenly Father, and we call on him and he find him to be an impartial person. The next thing that I've highlighted is the fact that we are called neighbors. He says because God is our father and he's an impartial judge, we should be living careful lives. And specifically, we should be living careful lives as neighbors. That term neighbors is the term I've chosen to translate the word here. It, it's a word that is often translated um, alien or sojourner. But it's the word um, paraoikos, which means, we've talked before about oikos meaning house. It's, it literally means we're parallel housed, or we're housed side by side with the people around us. And I, I think that's a lovely idea that it's not just that we are strangers. In in some ways, we are strangers. We're we're aliens. We're from somewhere else. Um, but that that's that distances us, distances us a, a little bit from our our community. I think in in a way that isn't thoroughly biblical. Rather, we need to view ourselves as being neighbors of the world where we're living. Um, you know, of, of neighbors of the people all around us. One of the interesting parts of the, this pandemic has been the way that we relate to one another as neighbors. Um, I don't know how it has been for you, but maybe when life was what they called normal, um, you had a way of relating to your neighbors. You might just have um, driven in the driveway, opened the garage door, and disappeared into the recesses of your house. Maybe with a wave to the neighbors if you saw them. Maybe in the summertime, if you're cutting the grass, um, you would likewise nod over at the neighbor and that kind of thing. Um, what's been interesting in this couple of months has been people practicing being neighbors a lot more. So we've learned that it's silly to walk past people at a six-foot distance without acknowledging them. So we talk, we say hello to people we would maybe not normally have said hello to as Canadians. 
Um, I, we, we found Annabeth and I that neighbors in our area, in our complex, um, have literally, rather than walk past, but they've come to sort of the six foot marker and stopped and talked a little bit with us and we're getting to know people that we didn't know other than just kind of the smile or the wave. And I think this idea of being neighbors of one another um, is a, a tremendous idea that is a biblical idea um, that Peter wants us, us to latch on to, that th- the way we relate to one another is that we are, in fact, neighbors with one another. Um, when we, we go farther than that, he says, and you who are children of your heavenly father who are good neighbors in your world um, here's what's true about you Um, you've been redeemed not by corruptible things Um, the the word redeemed has become a very Christian kind of a word it's a word that mostly would have related to slavery or it may have related to um, being kept in some kind of captivity or um, some kind of lockdown. I mean, kind of like this period of time in our lives, that something is controlling us, something is in charge of us, and we are not in charge of ourselves. But Peter says that here's the thing that's true about you. You've been set free. You've been liberated. Part of the, the whole Jewish a tradition of theology and, and sociology is the fact that they were slaves in Egypt and it was by the, the blood of the lamb um, on Passover lamb that they were um, liberated from Pharaoh and they became a people set free and in in a very powerful sense the truth about us is that we are people who have been set free from um and we'll talk in a moment about what it is that we've been set free from. Now that we have been made a new creation, the old gone and the new having arrived. Um, and, and Peter says, understand this, that, that you have not been redeemed by corruptible things. And in, in using the term corruptible things, Peter delves into the, the, the great, rich, sad theology of the Bible about what's wrong with us. And what's wrong with us and our creation is that it's corrupted. There's something rotten in Denmark. There's something rotten in our world and in our lives. Um, the rottenness is sin. And Peter says, here's, here's the glorious thing. Before we talk about what you were enslaved to, um, what's true about you is that you have been made something new something that you weren't the old is gone the new has come and in that new coming um was being redeemed from something you've been set free from some kind of slavery but you've not been set free by something from sort of inside the system you've not been set free by something inside creation You've not been set free by something like silver and gold. What you have was never attained by human resources or human effort or um, human ingenuity. You've, You've been set free by something that is not corrupt. And maybe by inference, we expect that Peter is imagining that what we've been set free actually from is the corruption of the fall, the corruption of the, the, the creation that we're part of. So Peter says, um, you should have this sense of yourself, children of the Father, living responsible lives with your neighbors and being of a certain character of people, living as free people, freed people, not by things like silver or gold, um, but in fact um, by the blood of Jesus that we'll see in a moment. He also says this about us as to the question, who are you? We are people who believe in God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. What is a Christian? 
A Christian is someone who will go on the record to say that she or he believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. Along with that, there are all kinds of orbiting understandings and theologies, but but maybe when it comes right down to it, we'll say, what makes me a Christian? What makes me a Christian is that I truly believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, which makes me something, someone different from anyone else around. It makes our movement different from any movement around it. It makes the entity of the church different from anything else that has or does exist. Because when it comes right down to it, we believe this, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that that means everything. It, it, it has profound meaning. It, it has to do with this idea of being redeemed from something. We've been set free from something, and we've been set free by things that are unexplained here, but they're not like corruptible things, silver or gold or the like. Um, and here we are stating as the rock on which we stand that we believe God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. And as well as that, Peter says, your souls have been purified by obedience to the truth through the Spirit. Again, who are you? You are along with what we've already mentioned. You are someone whose souls, and and souls is just kind of a, a term that means the you yourself, the person that you really are, that you yourself have been purified by obedience to the truth through the Spirit. We're going to see in a moment that Peter identifies that um, as having been through the, the, the living word of God. So we are people whose souls have been purified by obedience to the truth through the Spirit. Um, we have immediately then to, to move on to the next thing that clarifies exactly what he means there because it's kind of hard language. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the living foreverlasting word of God. This, this kind of uh, encapsulates the whole question, who are you? Um, we saw last week that Peter talks about how important it is that we have been born again. We went to John chapter 3 and remembered the relationship between Jesus and Nicodemus who asked Jesus what was the key to a religious life or a kingdom life or getting into the kingdom and Jesus said you have to be born again. And Peter would echo Paul when Paul says that um, the new has come. And Peter would agree and say, yes, the new has come in that our being born again has come. It, it's not you should be born again or someday you'll be born again, but you have been born again, Peter said. And Paul said, uh, the new has come. Being born again has come. But as we saw, um, Peter said we've been redeemed not by corruptible things. And then he comes back to the same sort of language and says, we have been born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the living foreverlasting word of God. Now, this stretches our heads a little bit and makes us think and go, what? Um, so Peter says, here's the truth about you. And so let this make sure this comes to me and to you. He's talking about us as individual followers of Christ and says, this is what has happened to you. So he said, you have been born again, not of corruptible seed. He uses the term for sperm. He, he's talking about physiological birth. And he, he doesn't dispute that you have been born physically, but he's going to the question, who are you? And saying, here's what's very important to identify as who you are. 
And for whatever reason, people would remark at us or, or not remark at us, um, we would need to be able to take stock of ourselves and understand who we are. Who are you and what have you done with my husband? Well, who are you? Has he, has he changed? Is he the same person or, or what? And Peter says, you're not the same person because th- you have been born again to be a different person. And, and just the sheer language, born again, does mean that it's another kind of birth. Um, we saw from the New Covenant promises in Ezekiel um, that the water and the spirit are probably talking about the washing, the cleansing of the old heart and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so now Peter continues with this and he says, you have been born again and the, this born againness did not happen like a natural thing. It didn't happen with a corruptible seed. The problem, of course, would be that if it is just physical birth that we're talking about, um, the sin, the corruption that is upon us travels through the generations and would simply travel to me. So if it's if it's just another kind of birth, or maybe not another kind of birth, but if it's another birth like the first birth that I had when I came into this world through my mother's womb, um, I came through corruption into corruption, so big deal, right? But Peter said you were not born again in a corruptible way, but of incorruptible seed through the living, forever, lasting word of God. This is not, we're not talking about the word of God as in a Bible, the book on your shelf. The The word of God um, is is the expression of God is the um, the speaking out of God of his will and purpose. It, it's, a, it's a deliberate reversion to Genesis chapter 1 where we're told the creation story like this, and God said, and God said, and God said, and when God said, it came into being. We're told, um, surprisingly in John chapter 1, that um, Jesus was the God who and God said refers to. Um, so Jesus in John chapter 1 is called the Logos. And that's by no mistake. It's a philosophical idea. Um, but uh, John is pulling on that idea and saying, Jesus who was born, who came to be among us, let's call him Logos, the word of God, and John very deliberately parallels his account with Genesis chapter 1 when he tells us that it was through Jesus all things came into being. So it's the same idea that Peter is picking up on here. And he says, the born-againness that is you, and, and again, that's me, that's us, if we are followers of Christ, if we have entrusted our lives and our destinies to him, Peter says, the way that you were born again was by the spoken word of God, by the logos of God. And he characterizes that as being the living forever word of God. There's an, a nice sort of um, uh, piece that's, that's appended to this where Peter will not just go to the, the verse, but it says, all flesh is like grass, and in the morning it, it, it blossoms, the flower comes out, and then it fades away, and, and so on. And mortal flesh is like that, but, but the definitive word of God lasts forever. And here, the word for God, or the word for word, is not the word logos, it's a word hema, which means um, something that, that kind of speaks and speaks keeps on speaking it's it's definitive it is it is not simply a word in its regular use it's the the rhema is is a definitive word it is a um not something that is incidental or just you know dependent or whatever of, of other words around it it is a definitive word and when peter quoting isaiah actually um, speaks about the grass withering. He says, 
but the word that gave you your new birth, your born againness, that word is a definitive word. It's the definitive word of God, and it will last forever. So your born againness is definitely that perfect tense aspect, and you are born again, having been born again. And to what Paul says, the old has gone, the new has come. I hope we can just sort of park on that and and ask ourselves this morning if we if we grasp that in any respect that we ourselves are are different than what we were and all of these things that we've seen in in these red letters are the truth about us so people really ought to be asking the question who are you and maybe they should be asking the question, what have you done with the old person that used to be? Um, some years ago, my mom um, found a, a, a written testimony that I had uh, written as a child. And I don't know, for some reason, she kept it in her Bible. And when I got her Bible, um, I saw this testimony. And the testimony said... Um, before I was a Christian, I I used to drink and smoke and go to the cinema. Um, and and then I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior at the age of five. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's literally what I wrote. I think I think I had heard too many testimonies, too many of the um, you know I I once was lost, now I'm found kind of versions. Um, and so I, I thought that you have to have been a smoker, drinker, cinema goer, and probably dancer as well, although that wasn't on my horizon. Um, sometimes there is that radical change. When I was in high school in St. Catharines, um, there was a fellow that uh, one morning when we arrived at school was doing gymnastics in the front yard. And we were part of a Christian club at that time, and this guy was notorious of, for mocking us. Um, and as we as we saw him, <clears throat> we we noticed he was there. And and then we heard him; he was talking Christian talk. He was talking Bible talk. And we thought, oh no, here it comes again. You know, he's making fun of us one more time. Well, Ron was his name. Was not making fun of us. He had the night before come to commit his life to Christ. And I mean, he was a bad guy for a high schooler. And he changed radically, like night and day radical change. So sometimes it's like me when I was a child on the kitchen counter. I just submitted my life to Christ because I was afraid um, my mom and dad would go to heaven and I wouldn't. I don't know if there was any noticeable change. For people like Ron, there was a huge change. But for each of us, the, the question should be asked, who are you? And 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 1 Peter 1 answer that question. They answer that question about you, about me. That, that these are profound truths about me and about you. The, these are things that make us entirely different from others. We're not better than others, but we are people who, as we understand this, then join with others as they understand this and come to accept and live into it. That that is possible to be the kind of person that can say, God is your father, um, that you are in a new relationship with people around you, your neighbors with people around you, but being a neighbor means that there's there's something that's a little different about you than the other neighbors, that you've been set free from something. And the way you've been set free has not been by using parts of this old creation that is corruptible, that we are people who, who would unabashedly declare that we believe in God and that God raised Jesus from the dead. And so the way we understand this to have happened 
is that God has given us a new existence, a new birth. We've been born again by believing the truth that is spoken out by God. We certainly find that in the pages of Scripture. Um, we find the, the, the voice of God in our, our creation, that creation is the, the evidence of the spoken out act of God. And creation witnesses along with the written word um, that God is God and he may be our father. He's interested in pulling us into a relationship with him. Um, and, and it's because of the forever lasting word of God that Peter then characterizes as being definitive. It is definite, this truth about you. Who are you and what have you done with my husband? Who are you? What have you done with the person you were? Very quickly, Peter goes on and says, Here, here's the person you were. Um, he refers to the vain behavior we inherited from our ancestors. But by the precious blood like a lamb's, without blemish and spot, which was known indeed before the foundation of the world, we have been born again. So the main part of that is, that there was vain behavior that we inherited from our ancestors. Um, vain just means um, fleshly or fallen or um, kind of futile. Behavior is, is a, a, a word that just commonly means way of living, a way of thinking, way of life. So what Peter says is that we came by something naturally, um, if he were to go back to the corruption terms, he'd be using it there. In the middle of the fallenness that is us, we naturally came about the person that we were. Um, the, the, the one that the wife says, you've done something with, was the natural person. The, the way he related to her before, the problem she had, the litany of, you do and you don't are characteristic of just the way that we struggle with with living life that there are ways about us um that we came by naturally we came by honestly um but they are features of the corruption of the world that we're in uh, this pandemic is a, a phenomenal illustration of sin it, sin is an infection uh, sometimes we can't see it, like this pandemic. Um, we're not sure how it impacts and who it impacts and where and how and who's susceptible and who's not and how long it lasts and how long it will last. All, all of those ways that this virus is behaving are like the way sin behaves. Um, and sin is not just the bad things we do. Sin is... The, the condition that we are, it's, it's the, I'm, I'm familiar with the husband you used to be, but who, who are you and what have you done with that husband? So, so we're familiar with what we're like because of the corruption of our creation. And we have lived vain lives. Um, and what Paul would say is, yeah, that's in the category the old is gone. That's dispensed with because of the powerful answers to the question, who are you? Just lastly, the thing that Peter pushes us towards is um, the answer to the question, well, so what? I mean, if, if I am this totally different entity, this totally different person, this totally different being, if I've been born again and the old is gone and this new has arrived what, what am i supposed to be doing well peter says that um the lamb that came w was actually known before the foundation of the world the the lamb and the blood that he was going to shed this spotless lamb this lamb was known about before the foundation of the world but he appeared in the last times which is the span of time you know apostles through to us 
um, where Peter says, in that span of time, he arrived for your sake. And then Peter goes on, and if we follow the argument, he says, um, so because of that, um, you are people who can exhibit faith and hope and love. Those are the three Christian virtues that are rehearsed over and over again. And if we want to some, have some takeaway from today, um, if I'm something other than that which I used to be, if I am a new you, um, the old is gone, the new has come, and what have I done with the person I used to be? Well, I have dispensed with that person. Well, so what? Well, one of the things that we commit ourselves is this little trio of ways that we do behave as neighbors one to the other. And they are the trio of faith and hope and love. We talked about hope, and hope is the um, theme of this letter by Peter. Let me just talk for a moment as we close by the idea of love. We are purified to unfeigned brotherly love. You've heard um, ad nauseum the term fake in news and about news for the last many, many years. Um, What Peter says is that one of the ways that we are shown as neighbors to be the kinds of people that are not the people we used to be but the people that we now have become is that we have unfeigned brotherly love unfaked brotherly brotherly love we don't fake it we don't smile put on a good front say nice words we genuinely genuinely love one another that that is to be the mark of the christian and here is a, a, a testing ground during the pandemic for us to live out that Christian virtue without any fake expressions. We sincerely, genuinely are to love one another. Um, Peter expands on it. He says, you must love one another out of a pure heart. No no mixture in there. It's It's purity. It is sincere. And outstretched hands is a lovely way um, that Peter uses language to express what he means. Outstretched hands is this. We love one another like this, which means I have nothing in my hands, not hiding anything in my hands. I'm offering my hands to you. I'm outstretching my hands to you, to give to you, to receive from you, to receive you and to love you with the kind of sincere, deep love that marks the Christian. Who are you, and what have you done with the person you used to be, and what does it all mean? These things are true about you. They're not religious notions. They're not concepts. They're not philosophies. They're not ideologies. They're the truth about you. Does that make a difference today? for me, for you, for us. There's a lovely little appended part that I mentioned before that I'll close with. Peter says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as a flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the definitive word of God lasts forever. This definitive word was good news. It was announced to you. It was good news announced. Announced as good news. It's a double use of this, the excitement of what was announced to us. Here we live in the midst of a creation that is corrupt. It's corrupted corrupted by sin, sickness, fallenness, brokenness, weariness, all all of that. And Peter says it's kind of like the grass, that that in the in the, the early day the flower of the grass is, is beautiful. It it just blooms forward. But then by the end of the day or by the end of the season, by the end of the week, whatever it is, that lovely flower just kind of withers away. 
We had an Easter lily for these last couple of weeks sitting on our table. And just yesterday, we finally threw it away because the flowers had withered. They, they were beautiful. They meant so much, such a lovely symbol for Easter. And yet they withered away. So is the human life. But Peter says the definitive word of God lasts forever. And it was this definitive word of God, this rhema word of God, this logos, as bringing in the nuance of its creative power. What you are now lasts forever. I had a dear friend, Bob, that I've known for some 40 years. And Bob went home um, just the other day to be with the Lord after a short struggle, really, with, with brain cancer. Um, what I believe brings me powerful hope and comfort because the stuff that we're into, the new creation that we are, is to be part of something that is described by the definitive word of God that was announced to us that we have believed and it it, it never fades away. This living hope never fades away. So I know that Bob is with Christ. He's with the Lord, having served him faithfully, faithfully as a missionary for many, many years and as a great friend. Um, the question, who are you, matters immensely. And I just fear that we dichotomize our lives and think about these things as theological or biblical ideas, Christian ideas, but they need to travel into tomorrow and into the next day. Because tomorrow and the next day, these things that are true about who you are will still be there. They'll still be true. Who are you? What have you done with the old guy that you used to be? It's okay. He's gone. That wife can go back home with a husband who says he's a different person. He's claiming that it's gone. He's learning, he's changing, he's becoming. Well, that's on the human scale. But Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has arrived. Arrived. God bless.